the great thing about the job is like we'll talk about is we utilize techs and their knowledge around like certain issues and their ability to triage and try to come up with a plan to help pets. Whereas in clinic, a lot of times we would still come up with a plan and we triage the pet and we would talk to the doctor about it. And then the doctor would go over the plan. Like in this case, like we still go over the plan and then we ask doctors for help if needed. Why don't your vet techs do more talking to clients? She wants to know. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show, a part of the VetX Leaders community online. In each episode, we explore ideas and subjects you can use to manage your veterinary practice better and be a better leader. I'm your resident asker of questions, Brendan Howard, and today, the veterinary technician with a VTS is Jordan Porter, who has a podcast and teaches CE and is veterinary support specialist at veterinary telehealth company, Fuzzy. She wants to pitch you on using veterinary technicians more in practice to offset all the problems. Too many clients to educate. Too much doctor time sucked up by things a vet tech could do. But first, here's how Jordan is in a unique place to think about this issue from outside the clinic walls. So right now I work from home, which is like everybody's dream, right? Like <laughs> Everybody like gets to that point of being a tech that they're like, get me off the floor and I want to work from home. And the only pets at your home are your own pets. Yeah, exactly. But they do cause me just as much grief as like <laughs> working in <laughs> clinics sometimes. Like, But no, so I work from home and I work for a company that gives like we do online telehealth medicine. So we triage patients and we basically inform them whether or not they need to go to the ER, if they can wait and schedule an appointment with their family vet, or if they can just do stuff at home. Because right, not every diarrhea case needs to go to the vet clinic right away. There's a lot of things that we can do at home to see if it improves. This was the idea of the company of just trying to help out because clinics are so overbooked and understaffed that like, if we can just take some of the load off and like help people at home too. Plus there's obviously those people out there who just can't afford vet med. So it's just like, it's one of those wonderful extra tools that we have. And I actually manage a team that does a lot of the communication with pet owners and pet parents. And just to be clear, is it all uh, text? Is there any video or audio or anything, or is it just all text? It's mostly text. There is video, but the video is reserved for doctors only (laughs) right now. (laughs) Definitely no complaints on my end there. So we can transfer to, like, we have doctors on our team. So like, the great thing about the job is like, we'll talk about is we utilize text and their knowledge around like certain issues and their ability to triage and try to come up with a plan to help pets. Whereas in clinic, a lot of times we would still come up with the plan and we triage the pet and we would talk to the doctor about it. And then the doctor would go over the plan. Like in this case, like we still go over the plan and then we ask doctors for help if needed. Now that is funny because I see what you're saying about utilization. One of the visions for what technicians could do and the nurses who work at my general practice doctor, they take the tiniest history, 60 second history, they do your blood pressure and that's it. They walk out. Yeah. But I've all, I've had veterinary technicians who modeled this or for real, I've done this in things like almost everything. They take the entire history. They ask all the questions. They do all the basic checking and then they go and the doctor comes in. All the history has been relayed by the vet tech to the doctor and the doctor comes in with the plan and either is going to explain the plan or do the thing. And maybe sometimes just doing the thing 
uh, the tech will be back and they'll explain everything to you. So I have, yeah. I've seen it both ways. Yeah, exactly. I think it's, it's growing, right? Like when I first got into vet med, it was very much just go in, get a basic history of like what the complaint was and then tell the doctor and then the doctor would do the rest. And then I, I switched over and it's been, well, I've been in vet med for 15 years. So when I switched over into internal medicine, my internist was very like tech heavy, like he would rely heavily on our ability to triage and like ask those questions. Well, what medications are you doing? And did the diarrhea start after you changed the diet or changed treats or, or you know, and things like that. So learning to take a heavy history came from my internal medicine experience. And then it's just kind of relayed over to this new job now. And it's pretty amazing because like, we do know what we're talking about, right? We do know the right questions that we need to ask. Like if you have a blocked cat, right? Like people, pet parents specifically will see straining to poop in the litter box. They don't think about urine, right? They don't think about like if the cat's producing urine, they're just like, my cat keeps going to the litter box and having diarrhea. Well, the text brain is going to be like, well, are you seeing any urine in the litter box too? Are, are we crying out? Are we having any unusual behavior? Are we vomiting after coming out of the litter box? Like we know what questions to ask to kind of geared more towards this isn't a GI problem. This is urinary problem. And this is extremely dangerous. And then so we can ask those right questions. And then the pet parents very much like, oh, no, actually, I haven't seen any urine in the litter box for about 24 hours or so. And then it, it gets our brain thinking versus I don't think we had the opportunity to think that way years ago, like as a tech, like, I think we were just given the list of questions we needed to ask. And then we did, and then we'd leave and then the doctor would do the rest. But now it's just, it's a fun switch over because like we have that ability to use our brains and like really investigate. And then the doctor comes in and goes, cool, we need to do these diagnostics because this is what we think it is. Right. You know, what have you discovered? So You've thought about this before you showed up to this new job. What kind of things have you learned from the transcripts of chat window conversations that have gone on with the people at your company and the clients? Like, what kind of things do you try to pick up on? What things are you looking for when you look through these things to improve client communication? That's always an ever-changing game, right? Like, this is something I'm constantly working with my team with, especially via, like, texting or chat. Like, we need to make sure that knowledge comes through, that we are knowledgeable, right? Like, we don't always want to like, we can be honest and we'd be like, you know, I've never seen something like that on the skin before. Let me, you know, get with a doctor to get some ideas about what might be going on. But it's really, there's a difference because in clinic, right, you can show empathy, you can read body language, you can see that if a pet parent's like, oh, they're just out for the money kind of thing. They have their arms crossed. They're kind of sitting in the corner of the room and they're just like, yes or no to all the questions. Like it's not a conversation. It's just yes and no. And then, so it turns into, well, how do we get these pet parents talking, right? Because like... Oh, yeah, because when you get a chat window going, it's possible that somebody who talks a lot in person is literally going yes, no. And it might be, I don't know, the response, you might feel like their arms are crossed and they're angry at you. Why isn't this person explaining anything? Yeah, exactly. So it's learning how to communicate your thoughts as you're asking questions, right? So you, like, if I ask for a photo of the gums, I'm like, that sounds really weird and really random to a pet parent because like... In, in a room, like physically touching the animal, we're asking questions as we're looking at those gums. We're not saying that we're looking at the gums and that they look good and stuff like that. So it's like retraining your brain to explain everything to a client. Because if you don't, then they're just like, why are you asking me all these questions? These are nonsense. This is, <laughs> you know, you're just trying to find specific tests that you need to do because of this, like versus if I'm like, 
you know, the gums are nice and pink, just what I want to see, but they are a little dry. Um, and I can actually see that in chat, right? Like I can see that in pictures. And if I can't tell very well in pictures, I ask the member to touch their dog's gums and tell me if they feel moist or if they feel sticky. And then, so it makes them feel a part of the, the conversation a little bit too. And it just opens it up a little bit more. And so it's been an interesting turn of events to try to like sound very empathetic during my chats and use, oh my gosh, using open-ended questions is a game changer. Like instead of those yes and no's, because clients don't think about all the things. Is that how you're inclined? So as you work through an algorithm for a particular thing, I mean, I could see how your brain would be like, there are many branching possibilities. Everything mm -hmm. is a yes or no. Is this sign evident or not? Is this sign evident yeah, or not? Exactly. So I could see how it could devolve into is this, is this, are they, is this, as you work through, how do you stop that from happening? So it, well, it's different for everybody, right? I have okay. a little bit of a, like a neurologic component to myself where I just have like a certain checklist that I have to meet. Right. So I try to throw out my yes and no questions first, where I'm just like any vomiting, diarrhea, coughing, sneezing. And then I'll start asking my what questions instead of like are the yes or no questions. I want the what questions of, well, what do you think was going on prior to this diarrhea starting? Have you recently changed the dog food or the treats? And people don't think about treats or like if they've added a new supplement in or like got a new bag of chicken jerky treats. So it's really trying to find those questions that I can ask that start with what instead of like, are you seeing this? Do you find every veterinary technician who comes in and starts doing these transcripts, this may have been their first time communicating with it's possible that for many of them is their first time communicating with pet owners on chat. Do they all seem to have some good digital etiquette skills already? Or is there like mm -hmm. an initial onboarding where like, let's explain how these chats look and this is how we communicate. Yeah, we do a pretty good job of like onboarding and like shadowing. So like if we bring a new team member on, we have them shadow a senior person. So a lead or someone like me for the first day or so, like just to see like how the flow of chats goes. And then we have them spy on everybody else too, right? So like we have the ability <laughs> to throw them into other people's chats too, to see how the entire team communicates. Cause we all do communicate a little bit differently and that's okay. So we kind of steal, it's nice cause we can kind of steal little tidbits and little ways of asking a certain question or explaining a certain like, why we're suggesting because like in chat right we're going to get those people who are a little bit upset when we say we sh you should schedule an appointment with your vet because like there's only so much we can do over over the internet and right. <laughs> like so it's a matter and this kind of falls into client the whole spiel of client communication that i always tend to go into where if we can explain why that needs to happen or why a certain diagnostic needs to happen pet parents are more likely to do that. They're more likely to accept what you are offering to them. So if you're going over an estimate in a room, same thing as if online, right? Like if I'm suggesting that you go to the vet for treatment versus trying to do things at home to fix this, I need to explain why. Otherwise they're just like, well, this was a waste of time. I still have to go and pay money at the vet. Like, well, no, right. there's things that we can do in the meantime, but here's what you need to expect at the vet. You need to expect them to do a physical exam and palpate the abdomen for pain and discomfort. And then they're probably going to recommend an x-ray to look for signs of a foreign body or thickening of the bowels, right? Like, so if we explain why the x-rays are needed versus just saying, hey, your dog needs x-rays, clients are more receptive to it. And it just takes a few extra seconds, right? Like, it's not much more. and It's not something that the doctor needs to do. Techs can do it because techs are going over the estimates most of the time, right? So 
I don't want to knock the in-person people and I don't want everybody to think like telemedicine should take up everything. But one unique possibility that you presented here is if it's easier or it's more comfortable or you make an emphasis at your company of educating more, because that question you're talking about, because I like to ask people questions, mm-hmm. I get the answers to those questions. Why exactly do you need the x-ray for this? Why that? But if you proact, most times they do not proactively tell you about this stuff. Exactly. They just say, well, it's needed. They're very caring and they're very thoughtful, but they just tell you, well, we need to do these three things. Yeah, yeah, really go to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Yes. And so that's kind of the goal, at least like that's my internal goal, right? It's like we want okay. to prepare clients for what to expect at the vet so that they are more receptive when their veterinarian in person tells them that they need to do blood work or need to do x-rays. I had this conversation <laughs> with my brother because in-person vet clinics are busy, right? Again, short-staffed, right. overworked, super busy, booked out for weeks. And so my brother's dog was actually recently diagnosed with osteosarcoma. And so he calls me and he's like, hey, Max has osteosarcoma on his leg. I was like, oh man, that, you know, that's a really big bummer. Send me a picture. And he's like, yeah, we're supposed to go back next week for like just a follow-up to see how things are going. And so I start asking questions, of course, because I can't help myself. (laughs) And so I was like, well, did they do x-rays of the limb? Did they do x-rays of the chest? He's like, well, they did x-rays of the limb and that's where they suspect it. I was like, suspect is the key word there, sir. I was like, because (laughs) I was like, they didn't biopsy it. I was like, although x-rays and osteosarcoma are very telling, they are probably right. Like it's just... You know, right. I was like, did they do chest x-rays? He's like, no, no, no. We have to go back next week for chest x-rays. I was like, that's unusual. They must have been busy, right? Like <laughs> we should yeah. do chest x-rays if we suspect cancer. And so then I start going through all the options with my brother because he's like, yeah, they told me that there were, it was either surgery or euthanized basically. And I was like, sort of. I was like, <laughs> let me explain all these options to you because right, like the vet clinic is right. Like those are kind of the options, but they don't explain why. And they don't explain what to expect. So I'm telling my brother, I was like, so how much is Max limping right now? He's like, not really that much at all. Like he's only limping if he runs really hard and it's maybe like a limp for a day once every couple of weeks. So again, not that bad. And I was like, okay, cool. That's good. That's manageable with like easy pain medications and just resting him when he's having those bad days. I was like, expect it to get worse, right? I'm telling you what to expect. You're going to expect it to get worse. At some point, he's going to hold up that leg. Worst case scenario, he's going to break that leg. These lesions do break very frequently if we don't do anything about them. And he's like, what do we do about it? Blah, blah, blah. If we want to prevent that from happening. I was like, amputation. And then of course, like every client ever, he's like, oh no, I don't want to amputate. That sounds horrible. <laughs> right, right. And I was like- For somebody who's never thought about it, it just sounds like end of the world. So yeah. that would be it for this animal, right? Yeah. yeah. And I'm telling him, I was like, trust me when I tell you that Max will be very happy three-legged, still running around, <laughs> not in pain. I was like, it won't extend his life, but it makes his quality of life better after the recovery period of 10 to 14 days. I was like, it's not that long. And he's like, and long story short, I mean, I'm still just rambling, but like we have all these conversations about what to expect if they just treat the pain with pain medications and keep them comfortable if they amputate versus if they euthanize. So there's really three options. And so I'm explaining all of this to him and I'm sending him links and articles and stuff like that on osteosarcoma because VCA is great. They have amazing client friendly articles. And so I sent him all this stuff and he's like, you know, it's crazy. He's like, I wasn't given any of this information at the vet. I was just told it was probably cancer and that we should come back and get chest x-rays and that we had the option to amputate or euthanize. And I was like, that's the problem, right? Like they're so busy in person that we don't have the time, but we do. 
this is what I want to ask. I think I know what the answer might be, but I'm mm-hmm. curious. So in this case where, so sometimes the client isn't listening. So the person, the tech or the doctor did tell them that mm-hmm. and they did tell them well, but they just didn't process it. They were worried. They were distracted. Absolutely. Okay. Now, if that didn't happen, if the communication didn't happen, it might be because they assume someone else would tell them, like maybe the doctor assumed the vet tech already told them or the vet tech assumed the doctor talked about it already. Or just like you said, so it could be miscommunication. It could be time, lack of time. We're so busy in their head. They're like, I do want to tell them, I want to give them five minutes on osteosarcoma, but I do not have five minutes. So they think in that moment, they think about it and move on. Those are some options. What about the other options sometimes of people, their favorite thing is not necessarily having long educational conversations with the pet owners. They like caring for the animals. They like being nice and courteous. But as far as long conversations about maybe difficult conversations, they would avoid it. So I don't, in this case, I don't want you to guess at that. But in your experience, when you look back, do you think it's usually, they do intend to have those long educational conversations and don't have the time Or is it because there's something, I don't know, a miscommunication or a lack of intense interest? Not my favorite part of the job. I don't want to do it. I think it's a combination of both, right? Like we do have lack of time and vets need to move on to the next appointment before they get upset that they're waiting too long, right? But then we also have those clients who take in this information and they just shut down, right? Like, so having this difficult conversation with them and giving them their options is very difficult. So in my brother's case, the doctor told him to come back the following Wednesday to do chest x-rays. So would they have had this conversation then? Probably. Right. That's a good way to do it. Get them to come back. But does the doctor need to have that conversation? Or can a tech spend 15 minutes discharging a patient and going through this, right? It's it's within our scope of practice. Like we're not not diagnosing because the doctor's already talked to him about what the probable diagnosis is. We're not giving a prognosis because again the doctor should have already done that osteosarcoma is bad it's you know you might have six months it depends on the route we take blah, blah blah and then the technician can go in and explain your options and what to expect with each one i think it could go either way i think but as a client i don't know if like even myself or my brother would have that knowledge to really go back and be like should i know more about this Right. Like, I don't know if they have that ability to process something and think like, I need to come back and talk this through with you later and find out more information for right now. I just need to process what you said. So, like, I think it's it's one of those two where like a tech or a doctor could easily go in and be like, I just gave you some bad news. And I know. Right. We have to show empathy. Like, I just gave you some bad news. Do you want to take time to process this? Or do you want me to have someone come in and go through options with you? If not, no problem. We can go through the options. You can schedule a follow-up with a tech in a couple of days. Today's show is brought to you by Vetex International. Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions. A poorly articulated vision, toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair. Help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful, high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, 
listen to a free training webinar, or apply, visit vetexinternational.com forward slash leaders. Okay, welcome back to the show. I hope you enjoyed part one. Let's get into some more meaty content to help you grow your practice in part two. How many places, in-person places, have you seen utilize vet techs to this full level for communicating and educating? None. Okay. <laughs> so this is just like, you have a vision for the future that they could be utilized more for these, this communication, but they are. I think it's getting better. I've heard of a lot of practices allowing techs to do like nutrition consults and like weighing pets and talking, like we can calculate RER and we can discuss how much food your dog or cat should be eating each day of which brand and why. And like that is on the rise and I'm so proud to see it. Right. Cause that's again, tech utilization. It's within the scope of practice. It's safe. It's effective. And it ta- it gives doctors the time to do the things that they should be doing that techs can't like diagnosing and prescribing. Right. Like, so I think, I think it's on the upswing. I just think we need a little bit of a push more, I think techs need to speak up a little bit more about what they can do and what they feel comfortable doing, right? Like not everybody's going to feel comfortable talking to somebody about their dog's osteosarc, but there's going to be some techs who are like, oh man, I've seen this so many times. Of course I'll talk to him about it. I think it's easier in a hospital to compartmentalize people and say, uh, client service representatives do this, veterinary technicians do this, veterinarians do this. I just talked to somebody a couple of weeks ago about as people shift, as they get older, veterinarians get older and they have different health conditions, maybe you could be flexible about what a shift looks like for them. Are they on their feet 8, 10, 12 hours a day? Maybe they don't need to be. Maybe they could flex to the phones or maybe they could flex to something else that wouldn't require as much physical work as they got older. Yeah. And it makes me think about this here, whereas you mentioned some vet techs, that's probably not their favorite part of the job. They don't want to spend all day talking to pet owners. But there are some that do. And so maybe that there can't be a cookie cutter veterinary technician position for every veterinary technician it needs to be a little more flexible. No, absolutely. I mean, when I first got into vet med, talking to clients for me was just like, oh, my God, I don't want to do this. <laughs> like, I was just like, <laughs> I don't want to be involved. Do you remember, was it, were you shy or did you feel like I don't know anything and I'm going to screw something up? What, do you remember what the big thing was like? I don't want to talk to them. I want to say it was because I was shy, but I think deep down it probably was because I felt like I had a lack of knowledge. Like, I think that and I think, too, coming into vet med as a tech, there were rules that you kind of had to follow where, like, only doctors could say certain things, right? But, like, that's not true. Like, yes, they can only say how long your pet might live or, like, things like that. But, (laughs) like, we're allowed to say if we think a pet's having a vaccine reaction. Like, we're allowed... Like, it's not diagnosing. We say, hey, oh, I think this might be what's going on. Let me go grab the doctor and let's see what, what we can do. You know, like we're not diagnosing. We're not saying this is what's going on. We're saying, oh, I'm worried about this, but it could be this. It could be just an insect bite. But let's, you know, let's work through this a little bit more and see what we can do. And it goes for explaining. I mean, I don't know. I feel like we give too much credit to pet parents, right? Like, we assume they know more and we assume in at any moment they're probably in a better headspace to take in information than they are. Absolutely. Because it's, it's even as simple as explaining how a vaccine's given and what to expect after. But they don't do this in human medicine either. Like I have children and nobody's ever oh, no. told me that like my kid, like they say we're going to give some Motrin because they might spike a fever after. But like they never tell me if there's a chance that there could be a vaccine <laughs> reaction or like anaphylaxis. Like we don't talk right. about that. No. 
And I think that there's room to do so. Like if people are more prepared, because like every vet tech who could possibly be listening right now or veterinarian, because I've known many veterinarians too, who like their dog gets sick and they're like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, we give them too much credit for like clients expecting to know what to expect after something. Yeah. But then when it comes to us, like we do the same exact thing. We're like, wait, why is that happening right now? Like this this doesn't make sense. So I just, I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot more room for educating. And like I said, it falls into human medicine too. I hardly ever get explained why a test is being run on me. Like it's, but like we have health insurance, right? So like we don't necessarily have to worry about the cost too much of a test. Although I was given a blood test once that was $3,000 and I was like, holy crap. (laughs) I was like, what was that for? (laughs) Was that super important? Because it was priced like it was super important. It was priced. But see, again, human medicine's funky because they're like, can you not afford that? I was like, well, I don't want to say that. She's like, if you tell me you can't afford that, it's $300. I was like, I can't afford that. (laughs) So it's like you can negotiate in human medicine around the costs of things after it happens. That's not the case for veterinary medicine. So I think in veterinary medicine, if we discuss why certain tests are needed. And like, we can be fair about it, right? We can give an estimate and say, hey, you know, this estimate is gold standard. This is gold standard what we should do because your dog is limping on one leg, but still, you know, still toe touching. So realistically, we should do x-rays and then possibly a blood test to look for tick-borne diseases and then possibly joint taps. Like that's gold standard, right? Not everybody can afford that, but if we're honest with people and be like, hey, this is gold standard, but here's another option we can start with, you know, and we put things in order too, right? Like we can start with just the x-rays and go from there. Or, you know, we can do the x-rays and the tick testing, but we probably don't need the joint tap and just be honest about the situation, right? Like, and technicians can have that conversation and the longer techs are in it too. We know how the conversation goes with the vet, right? We know why they're thinking these tests and these diagnostics. And so we can explain that to a client so that they don't think that we're just out for the money, like everybody likes to say, right? Like there are reasons behind it. Is that just requiring, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it is harder or maybe it's not. In your experience moving through hospitals, once you got to know a doctor very well, did it feel like much more like, oh, that handcuffs are off. I can say and do whatever because the doctor trusts me now. I'm not going to go crazy. But now we have a good working relationship. Or was it really doctor to doctor? The line about what you were allowed to do or felt comfortable implicitly you were allowed to do would shift a lot. Yeah, the line would shift with each doctor. I wouldn't say like I would feel comfortable and the comfort level was different, right? I had one doctor that I worked for before I went into specialty where I knew like we saw a pet. I would hold the pet. He would do his physical exam. And like, I knew exactly what he was going to do when he came out of that room. So I'd go and I would get the ear meds ready and I would grab an ear swab and I would have everything ready. And I'd be like, I know this is what you're going to prescribe. I know this is the ear cleanser you're going to send them home with. Here's a swab too, just for me to look at just in case. And then there's other doctors like my internist who would allow me to like I would get the full history and, you know, I was able to discuss what was going on with their pet a little bit more because like especially in specialty medicine people are worried they're like oh my god now i'm here because nobody can figure out what's going on and so i had that ability to be like i know my doctor's going to want to do an ultrasound before he even comes in the room 
Like, I know my doctor's going to want to do an ultrasound. Here's what to expect. We're going to shave the belly. Your dog's going to, you know, will be a little worried right at first when we first put them on their back. But typically, a lot of these dogs fall asleep. And just walking through the process that it got to the point that we ended up changing our protocol because it used to be where a tech would go in, get a history, come out. The doctor would go in re-get the history for some reason and oh, then yeah. go I, over. I don't want to say that's the most common way to do it, but I feel like that's a pretty common way yeah. to do it. <laughs> and then he would, he would be in there for an hour talking about, you know, what his thoughts were and what his plan was. And then he would go and do the ultrasound and then he would go back in. And this whole time, what are techs doing? Right? Like, I mean, maybe they have stuff to do in the treatment area or in the lab. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, speaking from personal experience, it was a lot of cleaning. And it was a lot of hurry up and wait. Like we would hurry up and do the patient and get them prepped and, and get the history. And, and then we'd come out of the room and he would go in and then we'd put our information in the computer. And then we would sit there until he was done in that room or until the next client came in. Right. And so it got to the point where I was like, this is wasting a lot of time. And like, I did end up feeling comfortable with him that I was like, I feel like there's a better way we can do this. (laughs) I was like, they're like, these appointments shouldn't be taking two hours long. Like we can utilize your text to get a better history. We then give you the history while we are likely ultrasounding. And then we can discuss like, and it got to the point with him too, specifically that like we would bounce ideas off of each other during the ultrasound. He'd be like, Oh, look at this thickened bow or something like that. And like, and I'd be like, yeah, do you want to aspirate that? And like, I would start getting an estimate ready and stuff like that. Like, so it was nice to have that kind of open line of communication. And then again, it got to the point where I knew why he was recommending things. And I was like, yes, he would go in and discuss the ultrasound findings. But then when I would go in and discuss, you know, the need for a finodal aspirate of the second pout, like I knew what I was talking about. Like I knew what was seen on the ultrasound and why he's recommending it and what we are looking for. Like, so he can say, hey, we saw some thickened bowels. I think we should get a sample of that to look for cancer. And then I would go in and be like, Yes, he saw thickened bowels. We're going to stick a needle in. I would describe the procedure. We put it on slides. He'll look at it in-house, but we will like to send these out just to have a pathologist confirm what our suspicions are. We typically get those results back in 24 to 48 hours, blah, blah, blah. You know, and it's like it cut our appointment times with him. He's he's a talker anyway, so it was like... <laughs> <laughs> okay, some of the appointments were going to go long. It didn't matter what you are going to do. Yeah. He was going to be talking. Okay. It did change the way we did things because he utilized his text to do a lot of the legwork. Like he utilized us to get the history and then we knew that he would do an ultrasound and then we knew that while he was in talking about what was in the ultrasound, we could set up for fine needle aspirates and we could do all this stuff. And you know, it's like we knew how the process worked and then we could explain it very, very clearly to the clients so that they knew that we weren't just out, like we're not just poking around for fun, right? Like. It does make me think, kind of also bringing it back to these chats you have and your your description of how you're explaining, these are some of the reasons why with what you're describing to us, we think you need to go to a veterinarian. And here's some of the things you can expect of the veterinarian. Yeah. I feel like there used to be a thing where they'd say people would talk to the doctor in the exam room and they'd go out to the front and they'd ask the receptionist, doctor says I should do this. Should I do this? Mm-hmm. And the reception... If the reception has been around long enough, they're kind of on the same page and they know some stuff too. But the vet tech who has, especially if they've got the two-year, four-year degree and have been around for, they know so much about medicine. So when they speak, they're speaking authentically. They're not giving a company line about, well, if the doctor said, yes, you need to do it, you need to do it. If you understand the medicine and science in your own head, when the doctor comes back and sort of very shortly says, we need to do this, you can explain it and you're speaking from an authentic place. So I feel like the possibility in these chats you're having with people, especially 
if the people are informed and they have time to educate, they're having good, authentic conversations about why it's important you go to the veterinarian. I mean, that just seems that's worth money, too. Yeah, it really is, because it's like it's something as simple as like a growth on like a leg, right? Like someone comes through and they're like, hey, what do you think about this growth? And we ask all the normal questions. Well, how are we feeling otherwise, like aside from the growth? And then we focus on the growth a little bit. We're like, has it gotten bigger? Has it gotten smaller? Are we chewing on it? Does it bleed at all? Do you notice a discharge or whatever? Blah, blah, blah. And then we go through our spiel of like how to like maintain it at home. And then we tell them too, well, watch out for growth, right? Watch out for it to get bigger. We find it's helpful if you take a picture of it. You have a picture of it now because you just sent it to me, right? Take a picture of it again in a week and then in a month and see if it's growing. If you notice any redness or discharge, then you need to go to the vet sooner. I would go ahead and recommend scheduling an appointment with your vet, though, to have this lump checked out before it gets big, right? Before it becomes a problem. And here's what they're going to do. They're going to do a physical exam and look for other masses or lesions on your pet. And then they're probably going to recommend a needle aspirate where they stick a needle into this lesion and they pull out cells. And then those cells can kind of tell us what we should do if this mass needs to be removed or if we should continue watching it, right? So like we can give all that information, but in the vet clinic, it's like, it's very, (laughs) it's very like human doctor. Like it's, you go in, yeah, that's a mass. All right, let me stick a needle in it. And like, you don't explain why, (laughs) like... (laughs) So it's just interesting. It's interesting to see my brain change (laughs) moving to online, but it's nice. Listen to Jordan's podcast at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. That wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show. Did you love it? Leave a review. Tell your friends in VetMed about us. If you want more, you're in luck. Jordan digs deeper into better utilization of vet techs in the extended version exclusively for our leaders community. Learn more at vetxinternational.com. And until next time, just want you to know, I appreciate you.